Welcome to Hooked on Bond, where three long-time fans discuss the James Bond films. Welcome to episode 13. This time we are talking about Octopussy from 1983, starring Roger Moore as James Bond. This is Brian. It's Gary. And this is Edmund. Okay, Edmund, why don't you give us a quick intro to the plot of this one? Sure. This, uh... This one, um, kind of similar to the last film we discussed, uh, has a, uh, a little, the, the usual pre-title sequence, which is uh, pretty much unrelated to the, the rest of the film, uh, where uh, Bond is running around a Latin American country, uh, sabotaging some aircraft, and uh, we then get to the, uh, the heart of the matter with um, a... Uh, clown who is being chased uh, by a knife thrower and uh, eventually um, manages to make his way to the British Embassy to deliver a Fabergé egg. Um, and uh, we um, basically, which provides the impetus for um, Bond to get uh, sent in. Um, turns out uh, the clown is 009 um, and uh, you know so Bond has a, a, a bit of a, a revenge plot going here and uh, the British government wants to find out why fake Fabergé eggs are showing up and uh, who's selling them and uh, so it turns out uh, he has to um, basically uh, t attend an auction and uh, winds up following Louis Jordan um, basically back Back to it, back to India, and uh, finally, uh, as he's uh, try trying to figure out what's going on, it gets uh, finally meets the title, the actual title character, as it turns out. Uh, Octopussy is uh, the, uh, the 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 lady who Khan has been uh, working with, and um, we also find out that uh, all what's uh, What's been going on is there are rogue Soviet generals running around, basically trying to, uh, basically trying trying to start World War III and using these uh, these eggs, um, presumably for finance. And uh, so uh, you know, Bond uh, naturally thro throws himself into the middle of all this. Um, you know, a little uh, globe trotting from. Uh, um, England to India, and, uh, and then uh, back back to Germany. Um, actually, the uh, the whole sequence with the clown actually it started started in East Berlin, and um, you know, yeah, there's sort of all you know, all, all sorts of intrigue and uh, rings within rings going on, and uh, you know, cases of who should you trust, who shouldn't you trust, and uh, you know, so yes, after after much. Daring do, and uh, you know some of some amusing asides from uh, Q and his uh, and his compatriots along the way. Um, naturally, manages manages to avert World War Three by uh, diff diffusing a nuclear bomb. So uh, you know, there's a it's a um, you know, a, a, quite quite a fun ride, I think, and um, it. Uh, you know, there's a you know after, you know again sort of a you know it's it's not quite as sort of a small scale as for your eyes only. You know, we are certainly you know we're getting back into some some Cold War tensions with um, um, Stephen Burkhoff playing the 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 rather deranged um, Soviet general. Um, you know, this is kind of Stephen Burkhoff's thing to <laughs> overplay. That's right. <laughs> it is really his stick to overplay yeah. everything, and he's yeah. like a he, he teaches acting, doesn't he? He's like a yes, he does. He's a big stage actor and a teach and, and a professor, and his mm -hmm. acting style is always like bug-eyed crazy. <laughs> so yeah, before we get into like the the main actors in this, uh, yeah. we have the the like the Russian War Council basically, or the the Russian uh, political council or Soviet political council. And as compared to the the previous film, For Your Eyes Only, General Gogol, played by uh, Walter Gotel, is back to being very much the uh, the the good Russian, the character yes. who is um, uh, working on diplomatic channels and works 
uh, with the the British behind the scenes and he's worked with them and so on. And we're sort of very much back to that where General Orlov, played by Stephen Burkhoff, is the the warmonger uh, Russian. So you have the uh, the two heading off against each other. And of course, um, uh, it's set up with Orlov being the, uh, the sort of villain back in the background behind the scenes somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and certainly that that whole sequence of the, you know, the the, the Soviet Council, you know, really, really felt like a, you know, a throwback to, you know, the old Spectre days, you know, or, you know, or Goldfinger and his, uh, you know, and his, uh, you know, over-the-top presentation of uh, of the the Fort Knox heist, but, you know, with the with the, the rotating table and the the map, you know, be, you know, come being re- revealed in the wall and, uh, you know, so, yeah, so after, you know, after going more low key, they were certainly bring, bringing in some, uh, you know, some, 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 some more o- o- over the top elements with this one. It was a sequence that I thought worked very well, actually. Yeah, I, okay. I like the tension. It's still a great work. Yeah, but, yeah go ahead, Gary. It's still a great sequence. And the thing I like the most about it is, of course, the fact that it's so dated now with the. Uh, when the map of the of East Western Europe and Eastern Europe come up, basically the Iron Curtain is like over all of East Germany, and then there's Czechoslovakia and Hungary are all part of the Soviet Empire, and and Poland is buried even further behind that. And it's just funny now you watch it, and you I've been to most of those places, uh, so it's like it's very it, it's interesting. I like that fact that to see it reminds you of how things have changed really fairly quickly. I mean, a lot of things change, but it actually for watching it now. It helps to set the tone of saying, you know, yeah, this is what you were dealing with then, and you know, there was uh, there was a lot that was there behind oh, the yeah. Iron Curtain. And, and, and Orlov would, I mean, Orlov's fanaticism or his fear of being. Like having the Soviet Empire, you know, deconstructed and taken apart pretty much happened not long after that. So his fear of the Soviet Union falling to pieces and no longer being a dominant force came to pass. So not saying it was wrong or anything, but it was uh, it's just like his fears were real. His fears yeah. of of, yeah. of having their their empire fall apart were real. That's right. Yeah. So let's uh, take a bit of a closer look at the the characters here. Um, I guess because of how they appear, let's talk about Magda first, Christina Wayborn's character. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to tell with Magda. She obviously is meant to be. You're meant to be unclear about Magda's loyalties throughout the film. She she's clearly working with the bad guys, but there are times where she doesn't tattletale on Bond, and her loyalties seem more with Octopussy. At times, back and forth, a part of the confusion may come from the fact that I don't, not sure she could even put a, a sentence in English together. Her dialogue is, for the most part, very monosyllabic, and I think it's because <laughs> she really couldn't speak English. <laughs> and I think maybe in some ways that made it a little easier for her to seem distant and uncertain. Um, mm-hmm. Very attractive and very striking woman, perhaps one of the most striking uh, people in a Bond movie. Um, but she comes off as too enigmatic. Mm-hmm. She's there yeah, at the end. Her, yeah. her life uh, she, the scene is actually she gets to sort of hug Q at the end. Yeah, so. she does. She doesn't have enough to do in the in the film in many ways. Right. She's, uh, a, she's there, a, sort of as that cipher and that point of confusion, and how we get to the next uh, stage of things near the beginning, and then she's just sort of floating around until much later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, even though the, you know, and uh, you know, I think this is one of those cases where you know they they'd gotten away from dubbing people. You know, just you know, by by this time in the '80s, it was something that just wasn't really really done that much. But you know, this definitely seems to be a case where the reviving that old practice might have made sense. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, in fact, uh, it wasn't even. I think they may have dubbed her at times too. Actually, there is a dubbing coach. Yeah, well, that could okay. have been just as much for the Indian sequences as well. Oh, that's true. But uh, but yeah, but cer- but uh, certainly, you know, that she 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 does she does have her moments. I mean, I've always I've always ra- rather liked that uh, that whole sorry balcony escape. <laughs> yeah, that was a good sequence. Yeah, and the good. the action that she does in this, she does very well, and she she was uh, she was an athlete. 
played. And they, you know, they chose her for that reason because she could do those. <laughs> she she did that stunt entirely herself, I understand. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was this uh, beautiful scene and the sequence in uh, in India still, as much of this film is, uh, you know, tying the end of the sari to the balcony and lowering herself down by it. Uh, and not only do you have that stunt that's performed very elegantly, but you have the moment where she meets with another character and to make her escape and Bond sees this and you have the sort of eye contact between the three of them. Right, and it's because and it's because Bond wants her to escape with the with the egg at that point. So yes. they're sort of doing what he wants and he wasn't counting on them actually kidnapping him at that point, but uh, that's sort of where his plans go kind of asunder. Yeah, that, well there is some sort of playing the game in this and I, I do like the moment and I guess just before that scene where she is holding the egg behind the Fabergé egg behind her so that Bond can't see it uh, you know as they're embracing but of course there's a mirror behind her right so you, totally you okay see Bond it. look at it so <laughs> yeah. he knows exactly what's going on well he planted that, the tracker in it so he wanted them to absolutely uh, take it but it was just a, there were some very nice moments in there and uh, that was sort of something nice with the character of Magda was that you had some good action in there that she was able to do herself and you had a lot of these sort of good little character moments and that sort of thing and they definitely had the nice little uh, smutty pun when she says she needs refilling and and <laughs> yes. Moore's like really? <laughs> we just did it <laughs> that was an eyebrow moment yeah that, that, that was that was like it was fun to see that line in there actually the other um uh main Bond girl in here of course was Octopussy herself yes. played by Maude Adams uh I think the only time that they had a lead actress who had played um, another a previous major role as a, as a Bond girl. Yeah, I think that's certainly yeah. true. Yeah, uh, that was in the Man with the Golden Gun, so that was uh, a while ago at this point. Yeah, and you did. I think they thought that they would have really good chemistry together, but I didn't think they did. I, I was a little. I think they had better chemistry in the first film. There's a number of scenes in the earlier between them where she's explaining why their backstory, which is entirely expositional and very uninteresting um, where they, they attempt to tie it to the Octopussy short story by Ian Fleming and it turns out that Bond had chased her father down years before and offered him the chance to either be arrested and come back or you know commit suicide and he committed suicide and he goes I've been wanting to see you for a long time and he goes what for revenge? He goes no to thank you and even when she says it I'm like is that sarcasm? I can't tell <laughs> <Yes>. it's like <laughs> The correct answer would be yes for revenge. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> but here it's like no to thank you. But she, even that she delivers in a way in which it's not clear she means it seriously or not. I, I don't know where that was really going. Um, I mean, she's fine. She's all right, uh, but not one of the stronger Bond girls of, of of the series. I think the character is written and sort of set up in a very different way from what we're used to. You know, she's she's not the villain but she almost sort of is a little bit yeah she's yeah. clearly she's like a, a pussy galore character in that she's working mm -hmm. with she commits crimes she's a criminal but yeah, she's mm -hmm. not she's not a malicious criminal she and she has her bevy of women who help her and everything and uh and i think it's another interesting thing she, about this she's movie. running like a sort of um almost like a little mob syndicate yeah but a wayward home for girls for the most part right and, but <laughs> having a woman in that position is not you know is very atypical in the bond films true but another thing that's interesting about this movie I, is i liked it yeah well the women are being used as pawns by orlov and kamal khan but it's really all the men are in on it and the women are being duped essentially the men which is orlov khan uh gobinda or uh khan's henchmen and even the the twin knife throwers all the men are in on the plan 
And yeah. they plan to be far away from the bomb when it goes off. All the women are dupes. It's it's by the end it turns out that way, doesn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I thought I wasn't yeah. sure whether that was being like either it was trying to make the women heroic because they weren't truly villainous. I think or, so. Or just that they weren't like it was it was it sexist almost in saying they were being used by mm-hmm. the men and not and they didn't even realize how easily they were being used by the men. I Well, it was like wheels in wheels. They were the ones who were sort of bad but not really the you know but not the real villains yeah uh, they, there were a lot of villains in this so let's were. go through go through some of them i guess the main villain would villain would be kamal khan played by louis jordan yeah he's certainly the one we yeah. Certainly the antagonist for Bond uh, throughout the film, so... And he... I I thought he was sort of um, mostly because of what the actor did with it. He was kind of an interesting character, and he was sort of at the center of this whole thing with the Fabergé eggs and dealing with that. Yeah, he's he's slimy, and he does it well. He does slimy very well. That's right, and he's, uh, you know, he's the one cheating in the casinos and so on and so forth. That's right. He's really a, a scumbag. He yeah. has no redeeming qualities at all. He's a, he sells art. He's a forger. He's, he's just a, a real sleaze. He's in there, and then his uh, henchman really is Gobinda, who is, um, you know, this large East Indian guy with a, the turban and the well-cropped beard and everything. And he was, um, uh, you know, ba- basically just the the standard henchman. He was there to uh, to hit people and that sort of thing. He's sort of the odd job of the movie. I mean, they give him mm-hmm. Odd Job's classic scene where he crushes the dice in his head hands which is yep. clearly a callback to the golf the ball. Golf scene. ball, that's right. And uh, he's definitely he has an interesting. He's good personality. I think I think he was a well-known Indian actor, and uh, since he was actually the main, uh, they were looking to cast well-known Indian actors, I believe, or at least right. a few of them. So I think yeah. he was well-known. I think he'd been on TV quite a bit in a number of movies. So even though for us he only seemed to have like a minor role, it was a, it was a fairly big deal. And he did have some dialogue. Yes, he did. He um, did. I. I I like Gobinda. He's, he's he's a very rational character. He's not stupid. He's not there for comedy purposes. Um, I quite liked him as a henchman. Yeah, and he was sort of imposing in it, too. Yep. Uh, he had a little bit of the feel of... Um, how Jaws was in his first appearance in The Spy Who Loved Me, of that, you know, sort of uh, big and imposing, uh, you know, you know, scary brute force kind of character. Yeah, although, yeah, not not, not quite the uh, superhuman, you know, indestructibility. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, a, a little more realistic that way, which, uh, you know, I, th- I, th- I think helps, uh, you know, make, make, make the conflict a, a, a little more realistic. Yeah, uh, uh, and we had, uh, it seemed like a legion of minor henchmen uh, <laughs> working for them, yes. including um, uh, the actor who forever ha- lives with a credit thug with yo-yo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he was quite menacing. He yeah. was, yes. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the guy Mishka. with the, uh, yeah, he has the, um, basically a circular saw blade mm-hmm. attached to a yo-yo that he can spin yes. at people and down at you guys. I totally liked him. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a, a, a scarier attack from above than the, uh, the 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 infamous dripping poison from You Only Live Twice. <laughs> yes, that's true. It was more more intense than that. Yes. Uh, we had a pair of knife throwing twins from mm-hmm. the circus sequences that we'll talk about a little more later, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, these two identical twins who. Uh, are circus knife throwers mm-hmm. and yeah they come into things at points as well yeah they're they're good they're they're at the beginning and bond finishes them off and it's like for 009 it's a good line yeah yeah nope, nope. it's a well done sequence oh yeah it's yeah, not, no, no. not very believable but <laughs> the guy shoots like four knives at bond to pin him to a door yeah. instead him. of actually killing him 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they're 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 showmen. They like to build build up. (laughs) Fair enough. It's in their blood. They're circus folk. You know, they're 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 used to just missing. It's hard to actually hit. Yeah. Yes. Bond also impersonates one of them. uh, You know, grabs the clothing from one of them uh, for a while as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. But Bond actually shows you know quite a quite a skill at uh, doing quick changes throughout that sequence where he manages to get into that. Suit. <laughs> oh yeah, it, silently without anyone <laughs> yeah. noticing, and yeah. out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's hard to buy. Yeah. He also manages the fastest co- clown costume change of all time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, in, 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 including <laughs> it takes makeup. About Thirty <laughs> seconds to have it perfectly done with the makeup and everything. Yeah. Yes, the, that's right. Again, through circus sequences and everything, there is the go- the gorilla costume and the clown costume. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And yeah. uh, villains, who am I missing? I think we've covered pretty uh, much. The- okay, yeah. So there were I mean, there's a whole of- army of there's a whole army of Kamal's henchmen that just yeah Kamal. Well, had a whole bunch everybody, of them. everybody in the vicinity of Kamal is 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 in is is one of his men and uh I mean during that chase during the jungle chase which mm-hmm. is bad all things considered it's one of the weaker points of the movie yeah where Bond just plunges through the jungle encountering a whole bunch of like unpleasant critters and a very cliched like chase essentially yes, yes. including the including the forgettable Tarzan sequence yes. nobody's, oh, yeah nobody speaks well of yeah and, that, yeah that, well yeah well, the well, jungle yeah, chase was the weak point in the film I, yeah. I would have yep. to yeah. say yeah. and uh, the telling the tigers as well that's not a good moment either. yeah 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 because after all when when you were trying to escape all these people you know yes swinging on vines with, you know, with a tarzan yell is exactly what's going to yeah this is a mistake that the filmmakers it, it's taken them it took them quite a while to figure out that those things did not make their movies better those little inter inter those little bits where they stick something in from external pop culture mm-hmm. in the next movie the thing I didn't mind in that sequence was him unbuckling the uh, the carriages from the elephants. Yeah, that was well, decent. Well, well, yeah, well, that, that, that actually makes sense. <laughs> that was good. And, and I was glad to see them get elephants into the movie because I know that they, I remember that uh, Harry Saltzman wanted more elephants in the other movie. So it was nice to see them get in, uh, the, man oh, with the, in the Man with the Golden Gun. So it's nice right. to see them get elephants involved in this film. I thought that was decent. They get yeah. the elephant, they get the, the scene with unbuckling the carriage and then the, of course when the guy fires his gun the recoil throws the throw you know throws the whole thing off it was um yeah uh, but uh yeah that was sort of a bizarre sequence now it's one of those things about this movie i've never i've never actually found out i've never looked deeply into it but i've never found out how much of it uh was based on the was the normal story or i mean if you know that this if you saw the screenplay credits it's richard maybaum and michael wilson once again but the story and screen Screenplay are also credited to George MacDonald Fraser, who wrote the right. Flashman novels, uh, mm-hmm. all about a British soldier in the Raj and all mm-hmm. his uh, Devil May Care adventures. I think Malcolm McDowell played him in at least one sort of comic adventure film. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think he wrote a first draft. Yeah, and I'm curious. I wonder. Always wondered how much of it was his work, or how much of it was his experience, because he certainly had India researched from that period, at least, or that earlier period. And so, how much of it was him, and how much of the other part were uh, Michael Wilson and Richard Maybaum, who I will probably guess didn't have as much uh, involvement in what was going on in India. Mm-hmm. And I guess That's one could right. say it's definitely an India of the past, less an India of the 1980s. This is not Indira Gandhi's India. No. <laughs> That's right. It does have uh, a very uh, a very dated sort of India feel to it. Yeah. But I think in many ways they did use India well. Like, they got a lot from it in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although, um, you know, when you're mentioning pop culture, shall outs you know the uh you know while while he was a well, was a wonderful tennis player and a, a very nice man from all you know <laughs> from all the interviews i've heard with him you know yeah ca- casting vj armitrage as the uh you know mi6's man you know man in india to help to help bond out was uh you know it's not necessarily the best decision don't give up your day job vj yes <laughs> no it's it, he's pretty painful to watch <laughs> His delivery is pretty terrible. Um, not sure how good his English was for this film, but it, sort of, it didn't sound good. Maybe he was dubbed. I don't know. 
Uh, I don't think he was actually. Oh, I don't I think he was. I thought he was sort of okay, yeah. but I, it, they relied on too many cheap gags with him. Yeah, uh, the right. James Bond theme. He's whistling. On, he's playing on the flute, yes. yeah. and then of course any tennis joke that they made with him, which turned out to be I'd forgotten how many tennis jokes there were, yeah. including mm-hmm. the if you want the double taking crowd, this is time you have the crowd following his serve back and forth, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Uh, I found that to be. Oops, I found that to be a little much. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, I mean, it really makes no sense within the sequence. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> hey, he's a famous tennis star. Not yeah. if you're not in India, we don't know who he is. <laughs> yeah, and hold, holding the thugs off with the racket. But <laughs> yeah, that was that was because because he's a trained British agent, so of course yes. that's what he that's what he'd reach for. <laughs> well, I did like the uh, the taxi chase. The... Yeah, but it does devolve. It does devolve into like every every Indian market cliche. You you can imagine it does absolutely sword swallows beds of spikes it felt a little bit <laughs> i don't know it just was a little too much of that uh, oh, yeah. I, I thought those things were fun they never but actually they're... acknowledged where he was i mean that i think where they are is udaipur is the province they're in or the area they're in I think that's, that's where right, that floating yeah. palace hotel is famous for being uh, but uh, they never really said what area of, of india they were in that's right yeah the they never really get out of that area so the city they're in is really not one of the biggest ones i think Mm-mm. certainly not mumbai or bombay as it would have been at the time because right. yeah 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 i mean I, I mean i kind of felt that that whole sequence of you know this it's become a you know sort of a, a cliche of this film and you know and, the, and uh the last one we talked about where you know where there we had uh, you know the chase that had to tick out you know go through the laundry list of winter sports and this one yeah it was sort of the, the laundry list of uh you know in, in indian bizarre cliches so. oh and gr- gross food too they had to have yes. gross food because everyone knows indian <laughs> food is gross right i mean right, right? <laughs> no, it's it's actually i mean i will admit when i went for indian when i was much younger some of it was very unusual for mm. for a kid but i mean now it's like none of it's gross it's awesome yeah exactly. <laughs> i don't know I that, that, that felt more like just Bond villains doing strange things. Uh, stuffed sheep's head. Uh, this movie does predate um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, uh, but they basically, obviously, they obviously thought Spielberg and Lucas obviously thought the stuffed sheep's brains and octopus were so hilarious, they had to make it even worse in uh, in Temple of Doom. Right. right. Chilled monkey brains. Or oh something. yeah. <laughs> there, there was a moment in that taxi chase with um. Uh, sort of the sword play going on between these two little taxi uh, buggies. They're not really full vehicles. When a guy on a bicycle whips through between them, uh, going in the opposite direction, and that was actually unplanned when they were filming this. <laughs> they could not, you know, cordon off uh, an area where they were, and you know there were just right. people there. And yeah, someone actually just drove right through the middle of that on on a bicycle, <laughs> and it looked like a perfect James Bond moment, and you know something that absolutely would be planned would and be... choreographed, and it wasn't. Hmm, I didn't notice that at all pretty cool so yeah i guess um we should talk a bit uh, a bit more about the circus sequences we've sort of mentioned some of that a little bit um we find out that octopusy and her whole crew of uh of women working with her uh that it was initially just a smuggling ring but they've moved into conventional shipping and uh uh and you know a variety of other things including circuses just happens to mention that and of course we saw the the circus at the beginning so of course the the circus that was at the beginning with the with uh 009 escaping with the um the Fabergé egg all of that was octopus's circus yeah. and we end up with uh basically everyone from uh from octopus's whole bunch of women being <laughs> part of this circus as well it seems yep they're all trained in acrobats and various other talents and yep. yeah fitting in with the, the the knife throwers who are sort of acknowledged villains oh they happen to be part of this too <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think that's that's that, that that's one part of this this script that really could have could have been done better i mean the you know the sort of you know as much as they they are doing sort of the you know circles within circles you know they they they, they made it a little bit too too 
obvious a contrast between uh, Kamal and Octopussy, and I think I think they really could have done a better job, you know, um, you know, leaving that in suspense and you know, and making it uh, you know a, 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 a little more unclear of exa- exactly what side Octopussy is on, and uh, you know whether they were really more, really more in cahoots. That uh, you know really does does come off a little, a little bit too one-sided, and certainly as as you mentioned earlier, I mean the you know the the, the it does just feel odd that uh, you know yeah for for all of you know having this character being you know independent and having you know developed this whole ring you know having all all the women be the ones who don't really know what's going on and all all all, all the men plotting around them just uh just a doesn't quite feel right. Yeah, some of it is just a little bit too convenient mm-hmm. in how, uh, you know, they just happen to be part of this situation and everyone else is part of this situation, but they don't properly know what's going on and some of those sorts of things. But, you know, they wanted to... Uh, they wanted to be able to turn Octopussy's women into, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, the fighting force that would help out with everything at the end. Yes, yes. There's the attack on the villain's fortress. Yes. Literally, in this case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's literally, in this case, it actually is a, a fortress. A well-fortified place that I'm sure the British spent weeks trying to take down <laughs> during <Yeah>. the Raj. <laughs> after, watch, after reading some sharp books and stuff like that, the difficulty of, of laying those places, uh, taking mm-hmm. those places down is a lot harder some some attractive dancing women and acrobats, you know, that, that was a secret weapon that they didn't realize. <laughs> That's right. The British should have used that. Um, there's um, the train. The train sequence is quite well done. All the battles up on top of the train and mm-hmm. inside, around the train, under the train. That was well done. Uh, it's pretty good tension for those sequences. Some of yeah. it uh, looks surprisingly good. How they, you know, with things like, um, a, you know, Bond hanging underneath the train and that. Those sequences look very good. Yeah, yeah I quite like that. Um, I mean, Bond and one and the knife thrower basically falling off the top of the train while it's moving and simply hitting the ground run almost run, rolling and running was a little bit difficult to believe but most people would die if that happened yes but they're 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 they're, they're very well trained yes, yeah. yes they are. and then bond begins his long uh long quest to stop the bomb he has maybe three hours doesn't make a phone call but uh yes. you know that's to improve the tension so he yeah, wants to you know, yeah, that, yeah. No good. who cares if you stop a bomb with two hours left that doesn't mean anything <laughs> but a bomb with three seconds left that's pretty cool yeah. uh, and, i mean it makes for a good sequence i i've always a lot of people have always criticized the James Bond in clown makeup but it is a very tense sequence with everyone going crazy in the background and yep. uh, it's sort of a nice scene Bond saves everybody they all acknowledge how how great his accomplishment was and I, I like that scene at the end quite a bit so I liked how they played the idea that you know he's undercover in clown makeup and no one believes a word that he says about this thing because he's in clown makeup right Except that, Bond- that was really well played I thought that he was just desperate to say you know look they're there's a bomb here and there's like, yeah okay you know either you're making a joke or you're just nuts yeah. oh yeah no, i mean i mean especially the way his whole entrance and everything gets played up as you know as just the as the comic relief for the uh you know for the circus so you know everybody you know everybody thinks it's just part of the act and uh and actually i mean in terms of the you know the you know for for as as, as crazy as orlov general orlov is um you know the actual you know the, his his actual plot i mean it, it it is rather cunning um you know this whole idea of you know yeah plant, planting this nato warhead you know to go off at this base you know not you know not to basically start world war three but to uh you know but basically to give the uh nuclear disarmament folks you know a- ammunition to uh you know to demand that uh you know the uh nato and the u.s pull their new pull their nukes out of Western Europe and, uh, you know, give him a clear field, you know, so 
you know, yeah, he's, tra- he's trying to disarm the other side. Yeah, it, it, yeah. yeah that was very well. It was um, a more interesting device for what the Bond villain is trying to do than we've had for a little while, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and certainly, I mean, especially, you know, for, you know, for the times, you know, I mean, we were mentioning, you know, sort of, you know, how in a way for all those people who <laughs> you know, barely know the Soviet Union existed. I mean, having that whole opening sequence, you know, is a very good primer to, you know, let them know, you know, exa- exactly what the situation is, you know, certainly at, you know, at the time in 83, when this came out, you know, no, I mean, the, you know, the uh, anti-nuclear movement had, you know, really revitalized in Western Europe. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, they, they, you know it, it was actually a, a rather plausible um, outcome if, if something like that had happened. Yeah, that opening sequence also gave, you know, ended with him just making it across the border into friendly territory, which of course, at that time, and in films of that time, was mm-hmm. sort of a big deal, that concept of, you know, making it into the friendly country on the right side. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. And it sort of gives you that in the opening too, which is nice. Yeah, and there's a whole, there's a lot of that in this movie. I mean, the, the West Germany East German border is clearly important. As is, uh, we also see Checkpoint Charlie used here, um, right. and I like I liked M. I liked M. Sort of showing up with Bond. It's uh, in the Judy Dench era. They made it clear that M. was was such an important person that M. M. would never leave the the MI6 offices for almost mm-hmm. any reason whatsoever. And if it happened, it would be very very rare. And she would get kidnapped virtually every time it would happen. Yes. <laughs> so that's a bit of a problem. But in this case, you have M. Just basically showing up at Checkpoint Charlie like split seconds away from uh, the Soviet Union's territory and you know at one point he just gets out of the car and he does have another car to get into so it's mm-hmm. obviously land but I just like okay. yeah it's him he doesn't, doesn't need bodyguards so just wander around West Berlin I'm sure yeah well you know the, yeah, that, that, I mean... it seemed a little bit like Bond was summoning M instead of the other way around which seemed a little bit odd but yeah it was sort of you know it was it was okay doing things a little bit differently. I, I like that. It was, it was sort of yeah, Robert yeah. Brown as an M. So yeah, this fact, was the debut of Robert Brown as M. Yeah, and in fact, in three of his four movies, he basically does go off off-site to uh, to deal with Bond. So mm-hmm. at least at different times, he's... That's He's in right. different locations. So. Well, yeah. of course, the original Bernard Lee M uh, would be in in the MI6 office, which could be anywhere in the world. Right. <laughs> you know, so he, you know, he would be, uh, you know, sometimes in uh, in in London, but also he might show up in the office in, uh, you know, the pyramids. Right. Mm. Fair yeah. Still the Brazilian jungles. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. I mean. I, I mean. Actually, you know. The, the, you know. They. They don't really make any acknowledgement of it. But. Uh, but I. I always like to think that. Uh, you know. The. The. The sequence here is sort of a, a tip of the hat to. You know. The fact that. You know. Berlin was always kind of neutral territory for. Uh, for the spy biz. So. You know, it's like you right. know. Yeah, no. In West Berlin, you know, he. He. He can just. You know, just sort of ride around, and. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, you know, it's just mutual courtesy that uh, no, nobody's going to try anything. It was sort of an interesting way of introducing him, of having, uh, that wasn't his first scene, but of having that scene in there in the film that was setting up this actor as him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought this was a film where the soundtrack worked fairly well. We were back to uh, John Barry soundtrack. Yes, thank thank you. <laughs> yes, it was, it was definitely better, although I, I felt Barry was using a lot of his old music themes, like it didn't seem to be very original in terms of what he right. was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just using the the same sort of Bondish cues and a lot of the a lot of actually the James Bond theme throughout the movie, uh, yeah. as opposed to coming up with his own ideas for this film. So I felt it was nice to have him back in general, but I was not as impressed with it. I think he, uh, in his next couple of movies, he attempted to be a little more uh, original, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. this maybe wasn't his best, but it still, uh, you know, it, it worked well. It got the feel of things really quite, yes. you know, quite right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and certainly, you know, I mean, with, uh, you know, there was a bit of a missed opportunity in terms of be- being in India and, you know, not introducing, you know, anything that you know, sounded more Indian, you know, quite the opposite, you know, that whole, you know, yeah, yeah, that whole thing of, 
EJ play, you know, playing the uh, the Bond theme on the flute, you know, was, you know, perhaps a little, you know, a little too on the nose, and uh, yes. you know, I kind kind of missed the chance to actually throw in some some more exotic, you know, fra- phrasings and cues and things, and uh, and also, I mean, the actual theme song, I mean, is I I think well, you know, one one of the more forgettable ones. Weak tea, you know, indeed. Yeah, it is John Barry's music, and it does have some nice little elements to it, but. It, yeah. It is a very it is a very slight song. I think it it's done well in the end on like adult contemporary radio. It it still mm. sticks mm-hmm. around. It, it, so in fact, some songs have just gone to the scrap heap and never been heard again. Uh, this song and Free Rise Only still seem to have some life in them in terms of getting airplay. Uh, later later songs pretty much n- are never heard from again. Right. In fact, there hasn't been a Bond theme since let's say View to a Kill that that got any real repeat airplay. Mm-hmm. Maybe Madonna's Die Another Day. Uh, up to like now but but all time high still has people playing it it's just not that good a bond song yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's it's okay it sort of it's works in it but yeah, yeah it is a little bit forgettable uh, yeah. the title sequence i actually kind of liked in this it sort of blended elements from the different approaches they've used in the past and i like that yeah I, did, I don't think i minded it i really i did like the opening sequence with the the, the little aqua star jet that was really cool and yes. uh, i still love the i love the explosion of of the uh, the airbase, that's one of my favorite Bond explosions. Like where the all the pieces of the uh, of the the warehouse sort of fly off. The siding of the building. The siding of the building yes. break apart. Amazing. That's right. It's amazing. Yeah. I watch it explode. I I tried this last time. I tried to look at it more closely to see because obviously this was done in miniature. But it was. Uh, yeah. But I was mm-hmm. just trying to see the things around it to almost gauge how if I could see how it was in miniature because it's just so well done. I, I yeah. really really enjoy that. That sequence with like the fly through and then the explosion and so on, it was done with like a mixture of composite uh, shots of miniature and uh, also forced perspective miniature things. So it was this uh, combination of several different effects. Yeah, although that it gave you something that uh, that you know is pretty memorable, I think. Although you can see that the plane is on like a pole as it's yes. going through. I mean, that's so <laughs> obvious. This <Yeah. laughs> is pole that's attached to the plane because it's being pulled through the uh, warehouse. Yeah, they were trying to hide uh, it with the wing. Yeah, it didn't work. No. <laughs> and then they had lots of people milling around in front that would cover the thing that was <laughs> the the vehicle underneath it. Okay, it was it was a nice try, but it, it's a great it's a really good sequence. So it but works, the actual but... like the the fly in and the fly out of the warehouse were both really uh, were quite well done. I think they were they were. And I mean the plane is the plane was functional. It was really workable. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. But they were doing things where like. <laughs> One of the doors of that warehouse was a miniature in forced perspective in the foreground. And the rest of it was actually there. You know, mm. there were things like that. Mm. And, uh, you know, that those combinations of things um, uh, really helped. You know, they were pretty convincing. Was that something like Mettings would work on? Or was he not? He may not have been involved with this one. I think Mettings may have done uh, that sequence. I, I'm not entirely sure on that. Yeah. It's certainly a good bit, though. And it's funny that the movie also it starts with an exciting plane sequence and ends with a... Slightly less exciting plane sequence, but an interesting one nonetheless, mm-hmm. where Bond basically throws himself onto the onto the plane and from then manages uh, from a horse, <laughs> <laughs> and then manages to control it as it's uh, as it's flying, pretty much destroying yeah, any I mean, attempt that's... to fly that thing properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... that's what that the, yeah the, the 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 part of that kind of gets to me. It's like one thing if he'd actually stayed on the tail holding it down. <laughs> oh yeah, but he moves around <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, he's yeah, like a that's... monkey. <laughs> yeah. He gets to the side to disable the engine. After after knocking Gobinda off, he slides back to the, yeah. uh, to the elevator or the aileron, whatever, to force it into a landing. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's in complete control. Kamal Khan can do nothing. 
Like you could have mm-hmm. easily tried to do a loop the loop or something. It doesn't yeah. really try. And, uh, and yeah, but I, and I actually, I've, I've I've always liked you know Gabinda's reaction when Kamal orders him out <laughs> out there. <laughs> really, you want me to you know, do that? Yes, excellency. <laughs> and and in fact, that's that they even they even like that so much, and it is a good scene that they give they bring it back in the next movie in uh, If You Do a Kill. Mm-hmm. So they do the same. They do another out there. Yeah. Right. You'll see it if you haven't seen it in a while. You'll certainly see it. Yeah. No obvious reference to Octopussy. Yeah. I I did like some of what they did with the fight on the outside of the plane. Yeah, it was well uh, done. Especially uh, Gabinda being thrown off at the end. Yeah, and it was I mean, very dramatic. It just. You know, was suddenly he was off and, you know, falling. Yeah, and as bad as some, I, I mean, you know they're using the green screens or whatever, they are really flying a plane with a guy on the top of it. Yeah. There really yeah. is someone hanging onto a plane. So yes. effort has definitely been made to uh, to make this look good. Yeah. Oh, and they did things in there with not just one, but with two guys up there and choreographing, <laughs> you know, parts of this fight sequence on, uh, you know, an aircraft at altitude. Yep. Oh, no. They did. Attempt, they made an effort there. Um, and it sort of ends anticlimactically. They land, the, the plane sort of touches down very conveniently for a few seconds, long enough for them to jump out safely and mm-hmm. uh, Kamal Khan to basically blow himself up on the side of a mountain. Right. <laughs> Which works out for the best, I suppose. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and then it, it suggested that Bond has suffered severe traumatic injuries, which would be believable. But, of mm-hmm. course, he's, he's completely faking. Yes. <laughs> so of can course have he is, yes. Where he's, like, and he's, in, he's in, like, various conveyors and pulleys and casts. But it's yeah. really all show. In fact, he's completely fine. Yeah. That's that was a little. That scene is also very silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there definitely were some some silly scenes in this, and it had I thought a pretty good balance of having the silly stuff and the serious stuff. Yeah, I you think know, it, makes... it was able to do those without sort of falling apart, which I, I liked. Although I think yeah. we've forgotten to mention one of the jokes, one of the things they never ever should have done, which was uh, Penelope Small. Bone. Yeah. This oh, is yes. much more attractive younger assistant. That mm-hmm. was a very bad decision on their part. I think it was James Clavell's daughter, Michaela Clavell or something, but it's still a very, very bad idea. <laughs> It, it just it just made like it really it hurt in that Roger Moore and and Lois Maxwell were pretty much the same age mm-hmm. and it was implying that well you are old and saggy now but I can still get it on with women much much younger than me right <laughs> yeah it was sort of an odd thing for them to put in there wasn't yeah, it it was pretty bad I mean yeah. it, they obviously realized their mistake and she was never seen again mm-hmm. um, yes yeah, uh, yeah Jer- Jeremy uh, Bullock did uh, reappear as Smithers in the previous film. Uh, So uh, uh, Boba Fett for Star Wars fans uh, Mm -hmm. in there. And it was, by the way, William Derrick was Thug with (laughs) Yo-Yo. Very good. And uh, and actually, I know one thing that, uh, you know, got got to me a little bit watching it this time was, you know, of course, you know, Q Branch has outfitted Bond with the, you know, his usual couple of couple of gadgets i mean they're you know they are pl- playing that down to some extent but uh but it uh it was i found it much more glaring this time that they you know they yes they they, they kidnap bond they throw him in a logged room you know but they you know but they but they do uh you know still still let him keep his gadgety stuff so yes. was, you know he, he has the pen with the acid he has the watch so he can still can still get out rather easily and well they, tra- they, tra- they, yeah, him and, out. They, they brought all his luggage with them and yes you know <laughs> Yeah, the, the way they sort of explained that was that, you know, he was in the luxurious, uh, uh, he was in the luxurious hotel in India where they had unpacked everything for him and mm-hmm. you know all of his suits were in the closet and they had done this they had done that and you know so then when he's been kidnapped even you know even being kidnapped it's such luxurious treatment and you know with uh, Karmal Khan and so you know it's such luxury that even the even the captive it's like they do the same thing they unpack all of his suits and put everything in the uh 
in the in the cupboard and so on. So I suppose maybe the pen with the acid in it was in uh, the pocket of one of the suits or some such thing. <coughs> but yes, it did have that typical thing for the Bond films. They just happened to leave him with all of his kit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think we have covered most of the major elements here. Okay, so getting into final thoughts, I think I'll start off this time. I have to say, I find this one is a lot of fun. Uh, it's not one of the very best Bond films, but it's definitely a good one. The silliness in it for the most part is silliness that I enjoy and the serious stuff in it I think works very well uh, it has lots of good moments and I like watching most of the characters and most of the actors so it's definitely one that is fun that I enjoy coming back to so yeah this is one that I quite like so it has a recommendation from me yeah I think I, I feel very very much the same way I mean this is one that I um, actually hadn't, hadn't seen for for a while and uh you know and i know based on you know i remember when i when it first came out i think i've you know i kind of got it uh, you know a little more annoyed at some of the some of the more you know trivial stuff but uh but in terms of in terms of re watching it um you know i think it's actually it actually winds up being a, a good mix of you know sort of you know entertaining elements and uh, you know and the actual plot is uh you know is uh you know is, is suspenseful i mean if you suspend the the disbelief about uh you know what why he couldn't just call ahead um but uh you know in, in a way i mean they kind of keep the action you know moving they're kind of just fast enough so that uh, you know, yeah, you can you can play along, and uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a good you know serviceable entry that uh, you know still has still has a good interesting factor. So you know, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that I agree with you guys on this one. Um, it's it certainly has good momentum. Uh, some of the problems I had with Free Eyes Only are not here. I think the pacing is pretty good for the most part. It goes to some new environments. Uh, Germany's not so... Some of Germany's not that interesting, but certainly the Indian scenes are, are, are novel for the Bond series. And uh, it's it's a very colorful cast. I mean, it's it's filled with some amusing characters. Most everybody in it are villains of various degrees, and so it's a, it's pretty good. And I think in one, in one way, that's something the recent Bond movies have really uh, fallen away from. They don't seem to create good secondary villains anymore uh, these mm. movies seem to have a lot of uh, a lot of good villains in in a lot of different places I also like to say that they I think they did a really good job of managing to shoehorn uh, the the Ian Fleming short story the property of a lady which is uh, the octopusy was involved tangentially the story but they they went for the Sotheby auction Ian Fleming story that he pretty much wrote for Sotheby's <laughs> And, and managed to fit it into the film. So if anyone ever questions why why Fabergé eggs at all, what was the point of that? It was because it was Ian Fleming's short story and they were trying to uh, to keep some elements of things Fleming had created. And I, I like the fact that they were able to use it. Yes, that's that's interesting. I think it worked reasonably well in there. It added to the intrigue. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good um, cultured thing that Bond does sometimes and he's never done art auctions before. So they managed to make that work really well, I thought. Mm -hmm. Yes, it fits in with uh, you know him being comfortable and knowing about just about every, just about everything. Yeah, and in some ways as well. I mean, the uh, I, I love the scene with the the crooked die with Kamal Khan and his loaded dice. Uh, it, that's a really good scene, but uh, his better gambling against Kamal Khan is actually takes place at the auction house. That's actually sort of the gambling scene with the villain mm -hmm. more than the gambling scene later because the gambling scene later is is entirely based on the Bond knows there's crooked dice, so it's not even a real gambling yeah. scene. Yeah. So the auction scene has more power as a result of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a I, good I like scene. It. it gave you, you know, views at a bunch of different characters that you'll see later. So it was nice. Yeah. 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 And and even the you know the the switch is 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 decently done. You know, sort of. Well, I mean, once you know it's coming, it you know becomes a, a little more obvious. But uh, you know, as he passes the egg on you know, under the program, um, but. <laughs> Uh, it uh, you know yeah it uh, you know works well and um, you know yeah, it's you know it's, it's certainly a nice reveal afterwards when uh, you know Bond reveals to M what he's what he's actually set up. Mm -hmm. 
and and M tells him that the the real egg is government property now. Make sure you sign a shit for it. Yes, and and, and, and Orlov eventually destroys it, thinking it's the fake one. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, there goes a nice Fabergé egg. Sorry, Carl Fabergé. Yes. Uh, <laughs> James Bond will return in A View to a Kill. Oh, things yes. make or, much or, more sense or, in that movie. Oh yeah. Or, or, or should we honor what what it says in the film and say we'll return in, in from, from a, a view to a kill? kill. <laughs> I noticed that. Yes. Okay. This is Brian. Take care, folks. This is Gary. Yes. Have a nice time. And this is Edmund. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Hooked on Bond. Find out more at hookedonbond.com or on Facebook. Hooked on Bond is broadcast on Device of Geeks Network at vognetwork.com. <laughs>